the Lord our God is indeed awesome in our midst. Hallelujah. The word of God teaches us that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Amen and amen. The Lord Jesus is always in the midst of his people. And any time we gather like this, uh, whether over phone or, you know, even on the internet and all that, he is right there in our midst, beholding our order. Hallelujah. Shadabayekas and delighting in us. As you know, I have I've taught you several times that Father delights in you. What does that mean? It means that as his son, he takes pleasure in you. You bring him so much joy. Hallelujah. Shadabakosis. Elder Entry said it during the prayer that he has made us the object of his love. That means his love is directed, poured out for us, toward us. Uh, so like the scripture he quoted in First John chapter number 3, John says, Behold, after considering the length and depth God had to go in order to redeem us, John considered the matter and realized that, you know what? It beats his imagination and his understanding. So he says, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God or become his son. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What a demonstration of love. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Hallelujah. That God loves us is not a it's not a mystery. Hallelujah. That God loves us, brethren, it's not a mystery. It is a reality the believer's heart must know without any shadow of doubt. The Father loves me. Hallelujah. This should cause the believer to be brimming with confidence always, especially in prayer. So the Bible says we should approach the throne of grace with boldness. That is confident assurance. Hallelujah. Confident assurance. In your fellowship with God, God does not want you coming to him with doubts. Hallelujah. And wondering whether his heart is toward you or not, you must always be brimming with confident assurance that Father loves you. He that spared not his son, but gave him freely for us, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Hallelujah. This is the extent of the matter we are talking about. That God did not spare his only son, but gave him freely not at any cost for us. How shall he not also within freely give us all things? This is why we go into prayer with confidence. We fellowship with God with confidence. Mm. For we know whom we have believed. Hallelujah. This is the confident assurance of the believer. So the believer is never afraid. The believer never worries. The believer is never anxious. 
The believer is never halting between two opinions when it comes to the knowledge of the heart of the Father towards him. Father approves of you in Christ Jesus. You are accepted of him in the beloved who is Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So for you as a believer, you must be rejoicing. So Paul says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Mm. It is a win-win situation for you. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. There should never be a moment in your life. There should never be a moment in your life where you fail to rejoice at the truth of the love of God towards you. You should wake up every morning with that consciousness in your heart. So you would rejoice every day. Hallelujah. God is for me. So the Bible says, if God be for me or for us, who can be against us? The Bible says, who shall bring a charge against the elect of God? When it is God that justifies, yet even Christ who died and is resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father, what is he doing there? Making intercession for you and I. Listen, brethren, it is a win-win situation for us. Hallelujah. It is a done deal. The matter is settled. Amen and amen. God is for us. Adabayatas. Bogradasus payegasas. We are not in covenant with God, no. He's in covenant with his son and we are beneficiaries. Hallelujah. That's why I tell believers, you see, it is an Old Testament thinking for you to be trying to get into covenant with God to get certain things from him. It is just an action out of ignorance. And I know sometimes even you hear people say, if you want to move God, if you want God to do something for you, you know, go into covenant with him. Tell God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Like Hannah prayed, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him to serve you. Go into covenant with God. It's nice, but it is out of ignorance. You don't know God if you do those things. Or your, let, me not, let me not say you don't know God, excuse me. Your understanding of the heart of the Father for you is not adequate yet. Hallelujah. There is still a veil on your eyes. Amen and amen. All that was required for God to move on your behalf has already been done. Hear me me very well. You don't need to promise God, I will do this for you if you do this for me. For God to move on your behalf. No, you don't need that. The thing that causes God to move on your behalf now has already been done. When was it done? 2,000 some years ago by Christ on the cross. That is why the Bible says, if he spared not his son, Mm. but gave him freely for us, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He's not waiting for you to promise him something before he will give you what the desires of your heart are. Hear me. You know, sometimes we have to grow out of our, uh, what do you call it? We have to grow out of certain understandings. And the word of God is there to help us. Amen and amen. Sometimes we have heard certain things and they sound so spiritual. 
But when they are weighed against the revelation of Christ in the word of God, they are found wanting. And we must give up those understandings that we have had and embrace the true knowledge of God in Christ. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, you are trying to tell God that what Christ did is not enough to move him to, on your behalf. So you have to also try and convince him otherwise. You understand what I'm talking about? See, most people like that, they love this song, Covenant Keeping God, there is no one like you. Because they are in covenant with God. When they are singing that song, their mind is thinking about the covenant they went into with God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, you are a beneficiary of a greater covenant. And that covenant is enough. It suffices for all things. Until the believer comes to the place where he recognizes that Christ and what he has done is enough for everything, you have not yet understood the work of Christ. Some people think that, you know, Christ dying on the cross was just so that God will forgive us our sins. No. The Bible says that in bringing many sons to glory, he made the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. The sufferings of Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection was to bring you into glory. That was the end goal of God. And in order to do that, he had to redeem you from the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of his marvelous light. You understand? It was a means to an end. The forgiveness of your sins, the remission of your sins was a means to an end. That is why Jesus did not just die on the cross. He rose from the grave. If it was just about your sins being forgiven, Jesus would have just died and there would have been no need for arising from the grave. Hallelujah. But for the matter to be settled once and for all, when he died, he did not just remain there. He rose again on the third day unto new life. So that like him, you have also come into new life. You have come into the glory that man fell short of. Remember the Bible says, all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God. That is not you in Christ Jesus now. That is man before Jesus came. All have sinned. All men in Adam, the first Adam, had sinned and fallen short of the glory. What is the glory of God? It is Jesus Christ. The Bible says concerning Jesus that he's the express image of the person of God, the visible one of the invisible God. He's the effulgence of the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Hallelujah. We fell short of that glory. Because of sin. But Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, came and took away the sin of the world and brought us into that glory again. So all of us in Christ are in the glory of God. That is what the Bible says. We all with open faces, beholding us in the mirror. The glory of God are being changed. What are you beholding in a mirror? The glory of God. Hallelujah. What are you beholding in a mirror? The glory of God. 
are being changed into that same image. Now that you are in Christ, where you are looking into the word of God and you are seeing the glory of Christ revealed in there, that is the glory you have come into. And as you continue to behold, you are being transformed by that spirit. That is the Holy Ghost into that same image. Hallelujah. It is important that we understand who Jesus is. It is important that we understand what he has done and accomplished so that there are certain things we will graduate from doing them. We will no longer be novices. We will no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Listen. Hallelujah. God doesn't need you promising him something before he will do something for you. Father loves you. That love is enough. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I'm not saying that in that day I'll ask Father for you. He says that because the fa Father loves you as much as he loves me. How did Jesus know the love of the Father? When he was about to multiply the, the five loaves of bread and two fishes, he lifted up his voice and began to give thanks to God. When he was about to bring Lazarus from the dead. Listen to his prayer. He says, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is what Jesus says. Father, I thank you that you always hear me. This should be the confidence. You are as much a son as Jesus is a son. Hallelujah. You have been made joint heirs with Christ. That's who we are. So Father hears us as he hears Jesus. He responds to us as he responds to Jesus. Hallelujah. So be confident in prayer. Jesus did not have to promise Father, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. No, that's not what he did. He knew that Father's heart was toward him. He simply made his request. Let us grow out of certain mindsets. They've been taught to us for a long time. But it is not according to scripture. Sometimes we misread the Bible because we think anything I see in the Bible must be of God. But we don't understand that we must read the word. As I've taught you several times here in faith generation, you must read the word of God through the lens of Christ. Hallelujah. Because the Bible says that there is a ministration called the ministration of death engraving in tablets of stones. Hallelujah. That means that when you minister that, you are ministering death unto men. Many have heard that ministration and they think it is actually the way to go. That ministration can even sometimes produce miracles. It can produce wild things, signs and wonders. It is still a ministration of death. But there is a ministration of life from the Spirit. Hallelujah. It reveals the heart of the Father. It reveals the love of God toward us. It reveals our place in Christ Jesus. It reveals the superiority of Christ in all things. It reveals the preeminence of Christ in all things. It reveals the sufficiency of Christ in all things. Hallelujah. Listen. Christ Jesus is sufficient. Amen and amen. Mandos, Madekasayas. He is sufficient. Hallelujah. We give God praise. We give God glory.
the diet, I'm continuing in the same train of thought. I want us to look at something in Hebrews chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter number 8. Let not your heart be troubled. Hallelujah. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. <laughs> because I am God in flesh. That's what Jesus says. The word made flesh. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let's look at Hebrews chapter number 8, shall we? Quickly turn there. Hebrews chapter number 8. In this time where we are being quarantined, this is a good time to quarantine yourself with the word. Lock yourself in the word. Stay in the word. Hallelujah. Feed on the word. Hallelujah. Yeah. Voraciously feed on the word. Do you understand? Quarantine your mind in the word. That means you don't listen to any other thing but the word of God. Hallelujah. Let the word inform you. Let it instruct you. Let it empower you. Let it wash you. Let it cleanse you. Let the word do its work in your life. You'll be amazed the product you'll become. Hallelujah. Let's look at Hebrews chapter number 8, shall we? The Bible says, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Now, let me give you a quick background before we get into it. I've taught you before that the book of Hebrews, though, you know, biblical scholars actually debate who the writer is, most think it is Paul. But they do debate who the writer is. Whoever the writer was, we know, we, we know what it is saying. Uh, it was written to Jews uh, primarily to demonstrate to them the superiority of Jesus Christ. The Jews, as a people, had certain things they held in high esteem. For example, Moses to the Jews was like God. You understand? The prophet Moses to the Jews was like God. They held Moses in high esteem. And not only him, the other patriarchs of old, Abraham. You remember one time they boasted to Jesus, we are of our father Abraham. Abraham is our father. We are not bastards. So, you know. And Jesus said, no, if you're of your father Abraham, you would have believed in me. But you're of your father the devil. That is why you don't believe in me. <laughs> that was a reality check for the Jews at the time. But they held certain people in high esteem. The patriarchs of old, Abraham, Elijah, Moses, they held the temple in high esteem. That is the tabernacle. They held it in high esteem. You should understand that the temple was the center of the Jewish life. Everything about the Jews centered on the temple. Even their economic activities centered on the temple. Hallelujah. That is why Jesus had to take whips and lash them out of the house because they were buying and selling, merchandising in his house. And Jesus had to put them right. Amen and amen. So they held the temple with the sacrifices that take place in there. They held it in high esteem. They held Melchizedek in high esteem. Hallelujah. There were many things they held in high esteem. The law and the prophet, they held in high esteem. So when Jesus came as the fulfillment of the shadows and the promises, hallelujah, of the patterns of scripture, they could not see that. Amen and amen. So in this book, Hebrews, the writer is showing how that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promises of the prophets, but also how that he is superior in all things to these people. They even held 
angels in ISD because when you read the Old Testament, you see a lot of activity of angels. So they held them in high esteem. But the book of Hebrews, the writer is seeking to show and demonstrate unequivocally how Jesus is superior over all these things. So in verse 8, after he had laid down uh, from verse 1 to verse 7, listen to verse 8, what is it? Now of the things we have spoken, this is the psalm. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Who is he talking about? Jesus. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. Now, let me mention this. Anytime you are studying your, your text, uh, the scriptures, especially when you're reading the New Testament, and you see the word true used to qualify anything, uh, used to qualify an activity that used to be done in the Old Testament or, um, or anything, an act of worship or anything, that word true is being used there to distinguish between the reality that we have now in Christ and that which was simply a type and a shadow in the Old Testament. So look at it. Look at look at look at it. It says, "A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle." Remember, the the Israelites had a tabernacle. When they walked through the the wilderness, they had a folding tent, the tabernacle. When they finally settled, they built a temple, which was a tabernacle for them, where they would go and worship God. But we know that God does not dwell in temple made with hands. Hallelujah. So that was, that was simply a type and a shadow. But Jesus now is a minister of the true tabernacle. What is the true tabernacle? The Bible says, which the Lord pitched and not man. The tabernacle that the, the, the people of Israel worshipped in was pitched by men, built by men. But here the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is an high priest, a minister of the true sanctuary, the true tabernacle, which was not pitched by man, but by God himself. We as believers, collectively, are the temple, the tabernacle of the Lord. Hallelujah. And Jesus is high priest over us. Amen and amen. Let's go on. He says, For every high priest ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, whereof it is of necessity that this man has somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Hallelujah. What is he saying here? He's saying that if Jesus was on earth, he would not have been a priest at all because there are already priests who offer gifts according to the law. And according to the law, priests only come from the tribe of Levi. And we know Jesus is, came out of the tribe of Judah. So according to the law, Jesus does not qualify to be a priest. Amen and amen. So that's what he's talking about. Now let's read further. We'll see why he said that. He says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses also admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, for see, said he, 
that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. But now had he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, so Jesus, the high priest, the high priest in the Old Testament, and the sacrifices and things he offered on the behalf of the people unto God, all those things were simply a type and a shadow. What do we mean by a type and a shadow? It means that it was simply foretelling a reality and a truth that was about to come. It was pointing to a reality and a truth that was about to come. When you take a picture and you print the picture out, that paper you are holding with your image is a type and a shadow. The reality is you. Amen and amen. So it is not the real deal. What the Israelites had in the wilderness was not the real deal. Their high priest and their many priests and the sacrifices and things they were offering, it was not a real deal. It was merely supposed to teach them to look forward to the coming Messiah, who is indeed the true high priest over the true tabernacle. Hallelujah. Now listen to this. Who serve us unto example, unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, said he, that I'll make all things according to the pattern, show thee in the mount. So when God took Moses up into the mount, he showed him a pattern and said to Moses, build according to what I had showed you. So in a, another time, we are going to take a, we are going to do a very um, detailed study of the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness. Now, you would see from that study that everything, including the materials that were used, and the way they were used, even their measurements, and the activities that were done in that tabernacle, all point to Jesus and his work on the cross. What he has done and accomplished for us, they all point to Jesus. So all God was saying was, God had showed Moses the redemption plan in heaven. And Moses was relating it to them here on the earth. Hallelujah. He was simply teaching them. But you see, the Bible says, eyes have they, they see not. Ears have they, they hear not. That was the Israelites. They were dull of hearing. They could not see. They could not understand what, what God was trying to teach them. They could not see it. Hallelujah. But hear this. The Bible says, but now had he obtained a more excellent ministry. Who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus, our high priest, is the mediator the executor of a better covenant which was established or established upon better promises. Hmm. Why is it better promises? Listen, when we say the old covenant or the old testament, we are not talking about books of the Bible. Understand this. I've, I've taught this before. When we say old testament, we are not talking about Genesis, 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. No. When we talk about Old Testament or Old Covenant, we are talking about an agreement God established with the children of Israel on how he would relate to them. That covenant was inaugurated at Mount Sinai. You understand? That covenant was inaugurated on Mount Sinai. It was ratified by the blood of bulls and goats. Even though the Bible tells us that God has no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats now. Amen and amen. At a time. That was the old covenant. Under the old covenant, this is how God relates to them. If you do this, I will do this. That is actually <laughs> affirmation, if I may say, of the tenets of that covenant. You read the book of Deuteronomy. You read all the blessings and all the curses. If you obey my laws, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, then I will do this, then I will do that, then I will do this. And sometimes believers in these times go back into Deuteronomy, they go back into the law, and they read these things, and they think that they can take it for themselves. Listen, you want to relate to God according to the old covenant. But listen, you have a high priest who is the mediator of a new covenant established on better promises. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. We don't walk with God according to the old covenant anymore. We walk with God in the reality of the new. Amen and amen. According to the old covenant, the simple tenet in there is, if you do this, I will do that. If you do this, I will do that. According to the old covenant, when you sin, you die. Hallelujah. If you don't find a sacrifice for your sin, you will die. That is why when they caught the woman in the midst of adultery, they said, they said the law, according to the law, when a woman is caught, he must be stoned. So they were actually doing what the law said, what the covenant said. Hallelujah. But the covenant we have come into is not established on that premise. Shut up, you guys. The Bible says it is established on better promises. Hallelujah. The Bible says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there should be no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob, Judah. If the first covenant had been faultless. Now, does it mean that there was a problem with the covenant? No. The actual rendering, if you read further, you realize that the actual rendering is if the first covenant had been not fault-finding, because in the next verse it says, for finding fault with them. Who was finding fault with them? The covenant. The covenant was finding fault with them. It was the law that was judging them. The law was finding fault with them. Because they were always breaking the law. And the law exposed their unrighteousness. The law exposed their sins. Tell you, see, the law, all the law does, the law is the light. The Bible says the law is perfect if a man knows how to use it lawfully. There's no problem with the law. The only thing is that the law can't save. Because the law is a light. All it does is show you how sinful you are. It exposes your sinfulness, exposes your unrighteousness, exposes your holiness, and leaves you like that. It cannot do anything after that to help you. 
Hallelujah. So the Bible says the law was a schoolmaster that brought us to Jesus. It, it, it exposed the sins of the people so that they can cry out for a savior. But the law itself could not help them. And I've used this analogy before. When you have a bright light in your house, and the place is dark and the house is messy, you will never know. But when you turn on the light, you begin to see how messy the place is. But turning on the light can't do anything to help you in terms of cleaning the place. The light will simply show you how dirty the room is, but the light can't clean the place. Mm. Amen and amen. That was how the law was. That is how the law is. Can't do anything to help you. Hallelujah. So the law was fault finding. That is why you see believers who still live. You know, sometimes it surprises me that believers now, what people I call Gentile believers, you know, all of us in, our, in my local language say, Amanfrafu. We are from different places. You know, Ghanaians, Zimbabweans, Americans, uh, Europeans, Asians, everybody who is not a Jew. We are all Gentiles. Gentile believers who have absolutely no relation to the law, when they come into Christ and start reading the Bible and start studying, they want to, they want to go back into the law. They want to actually go into the law that the Jews, listen to what Peter said to <laughs> Listen to what Peter said to his own Jewish brethren. He says, he called the law a burden which we nor our forefathers could bear. That is what we want to embrace. You hear pastors even preaching hard from there. That is what we call ministration of death. It is engraved in tablets of stones. What was engraved in tablets of stones? It was the law. And they are preaching that hard. You are simply ministering death to your people. People can shout and jump. You can see signs and wonders and miracles. It is a ministration of death. Hallelujah. It is fault finding. So you notice such believers, they are always looking for fault around them or they are always looking for other people's faults. Their eyes are like magnifying glasses that see only the faults of men. That sees every day they are looking for sin around them. And their mindset is this, hey, God is not doing this for me because I sinned yesterday. God is not doing that for me because I sinned this way. Every time they are looking for the sin, which is the reason why there is a particular problem in their life. It is fault finding. Always fault finding. You know, the, the, the disciples came to Jesus. Who sinned and this man was born blind? They are always trying to find who. Jesus said, listen, neither the mother nor the father. Hallelujah. And you see, people like that, they are never satisfied. To appease their own conscience, they must try and find a way to accuse themselves that it is because of this that I did. That is why this problem is, this, that is why God has not yet answered my prayer. It's because I've not paid my tithe. That is why this problem is happening to my business. That is why, now, you know, one of the things I love very much is, this coronavirus, eh, it has exposed so many of the errors in our doctrine. It has exposed it. So many of the errors in our doctrine. All those who are thinking that if you don't pay tight, the devourer will come and devour you. If you pay tight, no devourer will come and devour your stuff. And we're pounding this upon believers left and right. 
that if there's a famine, those who pay tithe, they will not go through that famine. All those who lost their jobs, are they only non-tithers? Hallelujah. <laughs> those who lost their jobs now in the coronavirus, are they only non-tithers? Talk to me, brother. Or there are tithers among them. <laughs> amen and amen. All those who sowed seed, those who, who, did, who have lost their jobs, are they only people who, who don't sow seed in church? Talk to me. This is the error in our thinking. We've not understood scripture very well. I'm not saying giving in the house of God is you know, you know, you know very well. Understand what I'm saying in context. Hallelujah. Don't take me out of context. Amen. You understand? It is fault finding. Fault finding. Fault finding. That is the law. That is the old covenant. It is fault finding. So the Bible says. For finding fault with them, he said. So God had to come in, Adaba say, to introduce something new, to redeem mankind, to redeem us, together with the Jews who were under the law. Hallelujah. From the heavy weight that was upon us. So he says, Behold, the days are coming, said Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Amen. That means that this new covenant is not going to be fault finding. Hallelujah. You. He says, make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. He says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them. Listen to this very well. The house of Israel after those days, say the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them upon their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Listen to this. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he said a new covenant, he made the first old. Now that which decayed and waxed old is ready to vanish away. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you see it? By establishing the new covenant, the Bible says God made the first old. The reason we call it old covenant is because there's a new one. If there was no new covenant, it was simply a covenant. Hallelujah. In this new covenant, he says, it will not be according to the old. That means that it will not be a fault-finding covenant. It is not a covenant that is focused on your sins. And it is not also a covenant that says, if you do this, I will do this. Until you do this, I will not do this. Hallelujah. But rather, here are the terms of the covenant. It says, I will put my laws in their heart and write it upon their heart. And they will be to me a people and I will be to them a God. And they mm. shall not need to teach every man his neighbor that know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. What is the law of God written upon our hearts in the New Testament? It is Christ in you. By Christ in you, you know God. You don't need somebody to come and be a mediator for you between you and God. You know God yourself because of Jesus in you, because of the spirit that dwells in you. The Holy Spirit that dwells in you 
Hallelujah. Christ is his law written upon your heart. Adabashaya. And then listen to this. Says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In this new covenant, there is not a remembrance of sins. God doesn't remember your sin. Hallelujah. Somebody tell me, God doesn't remember my sin. God doesn't remember my sin. Talk to me again. Tell me, God doesn't remember my sin. God doesn't remember my sin. Hallelujah. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he separated our sins from us. Hallelujah. There is no remembrance of sin. There is remission of sin. That means it is taken away and erased. Hadabasita balogo shatila batalas. Now, if there is no remembrance of sin, it means that God does not deal with you, relate to you according to your sins. He relates to you according to what Christ has done. This fundamental truth must be in your heart and in your mind concerning your relationship with God. God does not relate to you according to your sins. He relates to you according to what Christ has done. That's what the Bible says, blessed is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity. He does not deal with us according to the multitude of our sins as it was under the old covenant. No. Hallelujah. It is established on better, these are the better promises of the new covenant. So in this new covenant, man, they need I must not be living like somebody under the old covenant. I must be living in the liberty of the new. Always confident in God, my Lord. Hallelujah. When I come to him, and you see, this covenant that you have, you are, like I mentioned, you are a beneficiary of this covenant. You came to enjoy the benefits of this covenant. For example, those of us who are married on the line, and those of us who have children. On the day you stood at the altar together with your husband or your wife, and you made a covenant to each other, your children were not there. They were not born yet. You said you'll be faithful to each other. Hallelujah. You said you'll stay with each other in sickness and in health and whatever it is, whatever promises you made to each other at that time. Those promises, your offspring that have come out of this covenant are simply benefiting from that promise those promises. That is why for some married couple, even when they are at the point of divorce, they decide to stay together, they say, for the benefit of the children. So the children are always benefiting from the promises of the covenant. They are not in covenant with their mom or their dad. They are simply benefiting. Hallelujah. That is how it is with us. We are beneficiaries. Enjoying the promises of this covenant. Hallelujah. Because of what Jesus has done. Listen, this covenant was ratified in the blood of Christ. Nothing we contributed to it. And as a matter of truth, we could not contribute anything. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead men tell no tales. They have nothing to offer. Until Jesus gave us life. Hallelujah. And we've come into this great blessing. That's what the Bible says. He has blessed us in the heavenlies 
with all manner of spiritual blessing. Listen, he's not about to do it. He's already done it. Hallelujah. According as his divine power had given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. He that spared not the son, but gave him freely for us, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Hallelujah. Father does what he wants to do for you because of Jesus. Hear me. Father does what he wants to do for you because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Jesus is sufficient. That's why the Bible says that whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in my what? Name. In my what? Name. As representing all that I am. Do it all in my name. In my name because you bear my name now. Hallelujah. You bear my name. He did not say, do it all in my blood. Let me correct this one too. Here, I've said it several times on the line. No way in the scriptures do you see believers casting out demons by the blood. By the blood of Jesus, I cast you out. Did you ever see Paul and Peter and those people doing that? Hallelujah. Talk to me, brother. Did you ever see Paul and Peter and the other apostles casting out demons by the blood? No. Did you ever hear them say, I cover you in the blood, I soak you in the blood, I mix you in the blood, I dip you in the blood, I swim in the blood. Did you ever hear them say, making those statements? No. All those things we do, they sound nice, they sound protective, but it is out of ignorance. The name of Jesus is sufficient for all things. Hallelujah. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in his name. In his name, in his name, learn to use the name. It is one of the great blessings we have in this new covenant. Hallelujah. Amen. It is our inheritance in Christ. The Bible says, in my name, they will cast out devils. Shut up, Aye. If you don't want demons to come to your house, don't say, I cover my house in the blood. It is of none effect. He said, in the name of Jesus, I place a divine embargo on any demonic flight over my house. No demon will cover your house. The name of Jesus is your strong power. Hallelujah. The blood has its place. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, we are talking about his sacrifice on the cross and what it had done for us. Somebody will say, but Pastor Sam, the Bible says they overcame by the... By the, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives. Yes, we did overcome by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? The blood of the Lamb there refers to the death and the resurrection of Christ. Hallelujah. It is through the death and resurrection of Christ that we overcame the enemy. Hallelujah. The Bible says that through death he destroyed him who had the power of death. So our overcoming by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of our redemption, he's talking about the death and resurrection of Christ, which has given us the victory now over the enemy. So it does not mean we go about and soaking things in the blood and soaking rice in the blood. And you Oh, please, let's come out of that ignorance. The name of Jesus is sufficient. Hallelujah. Somebody say, the name is sufficient. The name is sufficient. Somebody say to me, I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. When you are sending your children out to school, 
Declare the name of Christ over them. Hallelujah. Declare the name of Christ over them. Shada Bayegas. Dalabasulabatas. You know, sometimes it will, I know for some it would take a little while for them to really come to understand. You know, sometimes one of our problems is we pick up things people are doing. And especially when it is popular men of God doing it, we pick it up easily. And we really fail to, we seldom ask, uh, is this really right according to scripture? We don't really care to study just because somebody is doing it, we pick it up and we do it too. And we fail to investigate the matter according to scripture. The Bible says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Let's learn to do well. How do we do well? By staying true to the word of God. Do all things in the name. It is one of the blessings of the new covenant. The name is sufficient. Hallelujah. The name is sufficient. I remember Peter met a man sitting at the gate beautiful of the temple, looking at him. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto you. By the blood of Jesus, rise up and walk. Is that what Peter said? Talk to me, brethren. Is that what Peter said? No. A thousand times no. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. It's through the mm-hmm. name. Through the name. Hallelujah. Through Amen. the name. Even the people that wanted to copy the disciples, the seven sons of Sceva, who were not born again, they were trying to cast out demons in the name that Paul and <laughs> in the name of Jesus, whom Paul and and and, and what do you call it? Uh, what your Silas preach? Hallelujah! You understand? The name is sufficient. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name. In the name. In the name. There is only one name given amongst men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah! Amen. A name that is above every other name. That at the mention of the name Jesus, every knee should bow. Brethren, we are beneficiaries of a new covenant. A mm. covenant that is not fault-finding. Hallelujah. A covenant in which God does not remember our sin anymore. But rather deals with us according to the finished work of Christ. A covenant established on better promises. Adamaye, King Grababazos, Kelago Shandela Brahasi. Lift up your voice, begin to praise the Lord. Thank you.